Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Hala Hala podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional, unceded territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabeg people. Hey, hello, hello, podcast listeners. We are devoted to the month of May to sex and politics, and welcome to our taste test episode where we sample something fresh from the pop culture buffet, and then we'll tell you what we think. On this episode of the Taste Test, Jesse samples White Hot, the rise and fall of Abercrombie and Fitch, now currently mm. streaming on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so appropriate. Now, Kuya, what did it taste like? Mm, I really thought about this one. And I have to say, <laughs> Sigs, it tasted like pickled sushi ginger. You know what I'm talking about. You know, that pink filet ginger that's it's, on the side yes. <laughs> next to the wasabi paste. Mm, it's sometimes known as gari or shinshunchoga no amazuki. Zuki, I think is how you that actually say that That was fantastic pronunciation. Word. That was wonderful. Thank you. Wonderful, I tried. Wonderful. And for those of our listeners that don't know what pickled sushi ginger is, it is young pickled ginger brined in sweet vinegar. Now, sometimes it's artificially colored to take on a blush pink profile or appearance. And sometimes it's also beige if it's made out of regular ginger. But usually you use this and it's usually served with sushi. Uh And it's typically there to help cleanse the palate before you enjoy your next course of sushi. And I have to say, Sigs, this documentary, again, on the rise and fall of Abercrombie and Finch was certainly a palate cleanser for me. It was like, whoa, like (laughs) I knew things were bad, you know, but I didn't realize how bad. And this documentary really recounted it. And Sigs, you and I go way back with Abercrombie and Fitch because there was a time where I would kind of lust and go, oh my gosh, I need to get to this store. What is this store? And there were no stores in Canada, of course. And so what would we do? We would go cross-border shopping. You would come would to not? me to Niagara Falls and be like, and I'm totally like so greedy. Like, we need to go to Abercrombie and Fitch. I'm like, what? <laughs> and Kuya, you'd be armed with this black and white magazine. And I'm like, is that softcore porn you're holding? Yes, so, practically. No, no. In vehemence, though, before you get back to t you're like, it's a catalog. I'm like... It's a catalog, Siggy. It looks like <laughs> teen boys, like playing football shirtless. I don't understand how this is a catalog. But anyway, go oh, on, go on. Well, totally lustful for these collegiate varsity looks. <laughs> collegiate, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this documentary, like, for the most part, really discussed its roots, which was with Simon Wexler's LeBrands. Mm-hmm. And that's actually now known as Bath & Body Works. That's right. But before, they used to have Limited, Express, Victoria's Secret. And Simon Wexler would usually take a failing brand, re-envision it, or update an existing one. Later on, he had bought Abercrombie & Finch, which had been around since 1892, and it was originally a gamesman shop. So the way I kind of think about it is it's like, yeah, Eddie Bauer meets Tillian Durable meets Guns meets MEC, right? Is basically what it is. (laughs) And then he hired Mike Jeffries to be the CEO, who really distilled this kind of concept and rebranded it as American 
spornosexual college sportswear <laughs> to the ANF brand, <laughs> which is very fitting as we talk about it in Sex and Politics Month, right? But, you know, SIG's such great popularity in the late 1990s. And I remember it coming across my radar and was like, what is And you were this? ahead of the game. You right, were ahead of the game. Right. This is right before, like, the OC was popular. Like, yep. And I remember, and I'm like, what is he talking about? You're like, you don't understand. I'm like, I will bow to you, guru. Teach your straight bunch of friends that are male to tell us to well, be more totally. stylish. Which is what you did to Logan, me, Victor, and all the guys. But go ahead. Yeah, and it was like, okay, guys, I'm going to style you this way, and this is how you're going to find your future partners, right? And yeah. so, and sure enough, it did. And then the funniest part, or the interesting part in all of this is, is I remember being in university at Salgeen, and like this was in and around 2000, and... Abercrombie and Fitch had not made it to Canada just yet, but I had already a few Abercrombie and Fitch shirts. Of course you did. And then LFO comes out with Summer Girls, <laughs> where, of course, the singer says, you know, Rich I Cronin. like girls who wear Abercrombie and Fitch. And then people were like, where'd you get that Abercrombie and Fitch? And I'm like, in the States, right? Because <laughs> so, you were way ahead of it. You were way ahead of it. I was totally way ahead of it. And like, I had the pulse on it at the time. But later on, of course, it, its popularity had waned just in the mid-2000s right. until its first scandal broke, which was really the t- a t-shirt where it was like, two wongs don't make a white. <laughs> please, so- please elaborate on this for our listeners. We haven't even like, we haven't scraped the surface of this taste test, but I think this is such a interesting... Well, so what's really fascinating about Abercrombie & Fitch at the end of the day, overpriced overpriced American sportswear that you could probably find cheaper everywhere else. Mm -hmm. But what was really fascinating was they were making these kind of like graphic tees and what they ended up doing was printing out a whole bunch of stuff that was supposed to be funny and filled with puns right? and such a wrong pun at the end of the day. And this led to a number of protests around the United States. So of course they pulled all of these shirts and then burned them. Apparently they actually burned them is what I found out in this documentary. But then what happened later was the revelations of this discriminatory hiring practices. So Sigs, I'm sure you remember the experience of walking into every Abercrombie and Fitch store in the early 2000s where dark lights, loud pumping music, and then male models on the outside greeting you in and everyone being so white. So white and, and beautiful, like beautiful girl size zero, thinner than Misha Barton circa 2001, inside with the heavy cologne, which almost made you gag. But yeah, totally, those totally. people that work there could be the mannequin. Unless they, they moved, totally I'm like, be. oh, it isn't a mannequin. It's a white kid hawking off like this like frayed golf shirt, which I could have bought somewhere else. For cheaper. For right? cheaper. Like they would be like, yeah. you know, $89 in and around 2000 and could probably bought it for $20 somewhere else. But the fascinating part is, is that if they did hire people of color, they all worked in the back stock, in the back room. And so no one was actually on the floor. And so it was really interesting that these discriminatory hiring practices or these exclusivity hiring practices started to kind of emerge and people started to talk about this. And then that's when it started to get over social media and commentary started to occur on their exclusivity, their whiteness, and it being merged with the brand itself. So... 
I, this documentary yeah. totally like I knew things were bad because there was a point where I just stopped patronizing them, right? Yeah. And then I also thought to myself, I'm getting old and I need to kind of mature my style. Yeah. But at the same time, I just remember kind of making these observations, but not having put it all together because we were at a time when there was no social media where we could hear exactly and thoughts other of the stories. Community. Yeah, but watching this documentary, whoa! Like just like pickled ginger, like it just totally blew my mind. And again, like. Totally cleansed so, my palate. So I'm gathering it was worth the pop culture calories. Yeah, definitely worth it. And I wanted more. And just like eating sushi, I don't know if you've had this experience. Every time I go and eat sushi, I could eat tons of pickled sushi ginger. And like at a sushi restaurant, you know, I keep asking for more and more pickled I, sushi You know what, ginger. though? Do I do know other people. I'm not a sushi eater, but I have a, fr- a couple friends that do love the sushi. Yeah. They, they just yeah. like, they have to eat it. And like, I know ging- ginger has fantastic like healing forces. Health but problems. They totally, people just pop it in. I'm like, don't you want the sushi? Like, no, I like the ginger part. Like it, I could have watched your a mouth. whole yeah. limited series on all of Interesting. Like I could have. Yeah. I, I'm sure they could have actually talked about more. Oh, yeah. You know, an hour and a half was enough, but I just was left wanting more. They could have unpacked more about what it said about society at the time, that we were all conditioned to crave a very white, Aryan, country club chic look. They could have talked about the newly emerged allegations of sexual abuse of its models by Bruce Weber. What? You know, oh, my gosh. Did they, didn't, they didn't get into that. I mean, they just alluded to it, right? Or how Mike Jeffries later came out as gay and was very private about it. Oh, gosh. You know, I wanted to hear more from the original six who put forward a class action lawsuit. So how this demise occurred was that a number of former employees actually got together through one of these third-party social justice outfits that put together a class action lawsuit. And interestingly, um, among them was Filipino, is Filipino-American and scholar and academic Anthony Ocampo, who we've talked about on this podcast in terms of the author of Latinos of Asia and is a professor in Southern California. He was actually one of the original six people on the class action lawsuit that kind of brought it forward. So so I could have heard more. I could have heard more about this. In fact, I think they could have made it into a whole limited series and it still would have enthralled me and cleansed my palate (laughs) and of my taste of this brand altogether. So, yeah. What does it remind you of in the pop culture buffet? Mm. It really reminded me of an inconvenient truth meets scandal. (laughs) So I remember if you watched an inconvenient truth and I just kind of hear Melissa Etheridge kind of in the background (laughs) for me. It just really awoken me to the environmental crisis and it, you know, and the reason why I said it meets scandal is I feel like there were all these revelations like behind the stories that mm-hmm. I kind of knew about but didn't really know about. That's kind of what it reminds me on the pop culture buffet because very chilling to hear the confessionals from past employees or managers or administrators or editors as they were revealing the scandalous truth in a lot of ways. I remember being less awake to these issues and really truly being glamored into thinking about this brand. Like I really bought into this varsity lifestyle brand i'm sure you could probably i I totally remember you doing that and like you were always ahead on trends so like queen when you first introduced it and then like every single university bedroom and all that stuff and plastered of all those catalogs Yes, right? that's right. Like, Years later, you know, right? Ashton Kutcher, Jennifer Lawrence, Jamie, Dor- uh, Jamie Dornan, like those guys Channing were all Tatum. Channing. Yeah. All those guys were those models, but like nary a person of color, maybe one black right. person, but you never. I'm like, why are they? They don't look like us. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 And you know, and at the time I never thought about that, but I think if I saw something like that today, it would be like, this is very white. Why aren't there any proper reflections and representation? And so like for me, that's what it reminded me of. Like it, and why I kind of have this, like my experience of this is very much like eating sushi, like cleansing my palate in a lot of ways. And since the class action lawsuit, I remember that when I started to be conscious about fashion right. in terms of what I wore and the sustainability and the values that it spouses and labor conditions that it keeps for workers. So really scandalized by how insidious this whole enterprise was. You know, like, I, again, I knew it was bad, but I didn't realize it was that bad. It was just like, yeah. So I can't wait for you to watch it and get your thoughts on it. What too. did you appreciate about it? You know, I really appreciated storytelling. It used techniques that really reminded me of Hassan Minaj's Patriot Act. Oh. There were like lots of visuals and confessionals and graphs and stuff like that. I also appreciated the storytelling and the pre-story of Simon Wexler and how he reanimated the brand. I don't know. I kind of like that history telling in some ways. I think being able to tell the history is just as important as being able to tell the scandal at the same time. So those are things that I certainly appreciated about it. Would you sample it again? Mm-hmm. I think there was some stuff that I was just, I was just so gobsmacked about a bunch of stuff that I think I'm sure I missed a few things. So I, I definitely need to sample it again. I have a quick question before I go to the last. Does Abercrombie still exist? Yeah, it does. Like with kids and, you know, and stuff, right? Like I know there's a kid's well, brand, right? So, you know, they still have Abercrombie and Fitch, Abercrombie Kids, Jilly's, which is a lingerie brand, and they also have Hollister. I, so right, I was going to ask if Hollister is like, I didn't know if Hollister was still going on. That's interesting. And fascinatingly enough, if you go to the brands now, people of color, and they acknowledge, they acknowledge their past around all of this and that they're moving towards inclusivity. So it's, you know, they've really gone a different way. And last year, during as the malls were opening up here in Toronto, I peeked in because I was just curious. It was like, you know, no more dark lighting, no more thumping music, all open, it's bright, different vibe, different feel altogether. And so... Fascinating. Fascinating how they've actually, they're trying to say that they're learning from their past history and stuff like that. Trying to escape the cancel culture. Now, to whom would you recommend this documentary? I'd say anyone that has bought an Abercrombie and Fitch piece of clothing. I think you need to absolutely watch this and know what you're participating in complicitly. Yeah. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we know that sex sells, but I didn't realize how much it glamoured us into it all. Sex, whiteness, country club chic, spornosexual ideas were really kind of, if you will, drawn into it. It's like a siren of sorts. So anyone that has had an Abercrombie and Finch piece of clothing in their closet, you need to watch I'm going to have to. Sidebar, do you still have any pieces in your closet? One. <laughs> and I, I use two. it for painting. I have two. <laughs> do you really? I have a white baseball cap. Yeah. And I have this orange sweater that I just, I know that orange sweater. I'm cold and it just says, I don't even think all the letters are on it, but like, it's so funny. I'm going to have to wash this and you know, whether or not I need to burn my clothes, but if they're trying to correct themselves, that's a good thing. But I have a feeling that this documentary is going to really exhibit the deep down and the dark side. But I mean, come on guys. It's the 2022s. You don't tell me that you're going to have like a hot Korean or a beautiful woman who's black not be your models. How can you not? You know what I mean? Like, you have to, you right? Have to. It just it's reflects just society. People. Like, why do you want it to be so milk toast and white? I mean, come on. 
Yeah, beauty exists in many different ways. And that's the interesting part about all of this, right? I love how there's more than just one type of beauty. Even if we're just doing a taste test, Kui just fits in a right fixing right (laughs) in. If I can. Like spun gold. (laughs) This is why this podcast has lasted for four years. Mm. Folks, we want to know what you thought of White Hot. And uh, you can email us at holohollopopculture at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. Our handle is at holohollopop. And we're on Instagram at holohollopopculture. The Holohollow Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Rate us and leave a review. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chelch Ringen. And we'll see all of you guys again real soon. See you soon. What piece do you still have for like, do you have a sweatshirt or a t-shirt? It's a long sleeve t-shirt. For painting. Well, there you go. Yeah, for painting. (laughs) Meanwhile, it'll probably look really worn and probably just sell for just as much. (laughs) 